Hello and welcome to The Kindness of Strangers, the student-friendly podcast based on A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Each episode we consider a character, theme or contextual factor you will need to master if you're studying the text at A-level. The Kindness of Strangers believes in mindful learning and that's why each episode will begin and end with a short exercise to aid your well-being as well as your study-friendly concentration. Happy listening! So this week for our short wellbeing exercise, we're going to do some classic deep breathing to the count of one of our main characters. Concentrating on your breathing can help you feel more present, focused and calm, which is the perfect state to be in when trying to learn or revise. So for a moment, just take note of your breathing, where you naturally breathing in and breathing out. What do you notice? Are your breath shallow? Could they be deeper? And now breathe with me. So inhale to the count of Blanche du Bois and then exhale to the count of Blanche du Bois. Again, breathe in to the count of Blanche du Bois and then breathe out to the count of Blanche du Bois. And one more time, into the count of Blanche du Bois and out to the count of Blanche du Bois. So this episode is entitled Our Playwright Tennessee Williams and as the title suggests we will be spending some time exploring all things Tennessee Williams. So many writers put so much of themselves into their work that they should never be overlooked as an important contextual point in themselves. So let's explore the man, the legend and the dramatist behind A Streetcar Named Desire. anticipation of this podcast episode I set my current Lang lit class the task of finding the most interesting fact they could find about Tennessee Williams and to post them on our team's page so let's start off with finding some of the interesting things they found out um Molly found out that he died by choking on a bottle cap um and we'll discuss that a little bit later actually Uh, Rachel found out that before he came uh, big in the world of theatre, he worked for a shoe company where his father worked. Lauren found out that in 1937, he entered a playwriting competition and lost, which is obviously quite ironic. Uh, Jess found out that he was originally going to name Streetcar Named Desire Blanche's Chair in the Moon. It's obviously relevant to some of the songs that she sings in the text. Um, Emily found out that he changed his birthday from 1911 to 1914 to enter certain playwriting competitions that were outside of his age range. Um, Jess found out that he was a big fan of Meryl Streep and wanted her to play Blanche if they ever made the movie. Obviously, it didn't quite happen. Um, Innie found out that while he worked at the shoe company, previously mentioned, he encountered an unpleasant man that was said to maybe be the inspiration for Stanley's character. Um, Ella found out a really important fact that his given name wasn't actually Tennessee as his first name. It was Thomas Lanier Williams III. Um, and Holly found out that perhaps his nickname Tennessee was given by his fraternity brothers due to his deep southern accent, which is very interesting. 
Um, and then Chloe and Sophie found out quite similar facts. So Chloe found out that an illness caused him to be laid up in bed for six months. Um, and he felt what he described as a strange mystical feeling that completely changed him. And after this, he became more solitary and more imaginative. And it was this kind of experience that inspired him to become a writer. And I think talking about the same thing, um, Sophie talks about as well a near-death experience as an early child that made him become a writer because from this moment he became more imaginative, solitary and soon began writing short stories as a child. And Ollie found out that before his writing career, he was also, as well as working in the shoe company, an elevator opera in, operator sorry, in New York. So loads of interesting facts about Tennessee Williams to start us off. The career and reputation of Tennessee Williams. So for this man, fame came very quickly. He went from working in a shoe shop to earning money and notoriety at lightning speed. Was this maybe hard to take for somebody who was already mentally fragile? Was this maybe always going to be a recipe for disaster? For many of his critics and the public alike, he was known for the controversial, the obscene, the realism and the melancholy nature of a lot of his works. But personally, he was known for his troubled mental health, his elusive sexuality and issues with addiction. After success and success, his work did decline, as did his mental health over the years. He slowly faded away as an artist. And many felt that he had spoiled his talent or his talent was spoiled by his suffering and his compulsions. In interviews over the years about his professional life, he didn't see a life of work in him once he had hit the jackpot. Instead, he said that his nerves couldn't take working in professional theatre for the rest of his life. And indeed, it seems that they couldn't. Family. A person's family and upbringing can have a monumental effect on their values, lifestyle and the path they follow. For many writers, pivotal moments in their childhood or family history find themselves consciously or unconsciously manifesting in the art they create. Psychologically, writing can be both an opportunity for catharsis and a haunting reliving. For some, the cathartic offloading of core concerns can be freeing. For others, the process can lead them to dwell, obsess and relive their past and traumas. Williams described his parents' partnership as a wrong marriage in interviews. Perhaps a realisation he made whilst observing it as a child or something he came to realise later in life. Can you think of any dysfunctional relationships presented in Streetcar? Perhaps Stanley and Stella? Steve and Eunice? William's first impressions of love and marriage were flawed, hence the depiction of such dysfunctionality in the relationships of his characters. As well as marital role modelling, psychologically the characters of our parents often define our early impressions of adult behaviour, femininity and masculinity, and the workings of the world. Williams described his own father as a man who drank hard and gambled. In some ways, Williams emulated similar behaviours in his own personal life. He also let these archetypes seep into his art. Who in Streetcar drinks hard and gambles? Is Stanley a young version of William's father? Do Steve, Mitch and Pablo signify the commonality of such men? 
does Blanche's heavy drinking translate into a gender-universal depiction of William's earliest role models? During William's childhood, a significant event happened which shook his world. His family relocated from a small town to a big city, and everything that he had made sense of in the world shifted. During such an impressionable time in a child's life, such extreme change, if not wholly positive, can be traumatic. Williams became an outsider overnight, facing the unknown, huge change, and possibly a feeling of isolation. What character in Streetcar undergoes a seismic culture shock? Blanche's incongruous appearance in New Orleans, so very removed from her southern elitism in Belle Reve, is in many ways comparable. Later, the mental health of his sister deteriorated, undergoing psychosis. But due to the limited knowledge and understanding of such disorders, she was institutionalised and lobotomised. It was said that Williams never forgive himself for allowing this to happen to his sister. And surely having such troublesome, poor mental health so closely linked to his sibling must have been a cause of self-concern. This guilt he carried was said to weigh down on him greatly, perhaps as greatly as Stella feels it when Blanche reminds her of her desertion of Belle Reve and when she entrusts her sister's care to the kindness of strangers and the medical profession at the close of the play. For many of his critics, Williams made great artistic use of his own troubled family, perhaps why the heartbreaking realism of his plays resonates with so many. Sexuality. Williams remained elusive about his sexuality throughout his life. Throughout his lifetime, particularly in young adulthood, homosexuality was not a validated and accepted sexuality. It was considered sinful, deviant, and as Stella described in her own words, degenerate. How must a homosexual man have felt living with himself in an environment so hostile to one of the truest parts of his being? Alienated, isolated, vulnerable. William's ambiguity about his sexuality was survival. Hiding was safety and normalcy. In the 1940s, homosexuals and promiscuous women were seen as sexual perverts, unstable and a danger to society. Laws protected straight male domestic abusers, but criminalised or institutionalised gay lovers and women who fancied a one-night stand. Williams was so accepted by the world of the theatre and Hollywood, but his true self was so utterly unaccepted by the Western world at the time. He was a sexual outcast, much like Blanche, who is vilified for her loose ways, hiding her personal choices or compulsions to avoid social persecution, judged, gossiped about, branded insane by an insane society. And yet, Stanley and Stella's sexual relations are in many ways more problematic. This is especially apparent to a modern audience who is outraged by Stanley's abusive treatment despite their sexual connection. Their relationship is far more animalistic than the romance and genuine emotional connection Blanche longs for, yet she is outcast as the perverse. For me, William's criticism of society's hypocrisy surrounding sexual norms is illuminating. Yeah, unlike Stella and Stanley, and perhaps like his own parents, William's relationships were said to be volatile themselves. 
perhaps another route to the normalcy of Stella and Stanley's dysfunctional relations. In 1963, William's lover of 14 years died, and from that point, his mental health declined considerably. He was said to be utterly lost. This wasn't the first time in his life Williams experienced the deep pain of loneliness, a subject matter he came to write about frequently and excellently. Mental health and addiction. Williams was infamously plagued by troubles with his mental health and problems with addiction. Although propelled by his fame, his instability predated his career and was a part of his life from early on. As we all know, stigma around mental health is still a huge issue in our society. So imagine the fatal lack of discussion, acceptance and care surrounding it in William's lifetime. Saying this, William spoke quite openly about his mental health struggles in interviews, often met with intrigue by his interviewers, critics and audiences. Before his writing career took off, he suffered with loneliness and depression, experiencing a mental breakdown before he hit his first plays, hit the theatre. These very feelings, loneliness especially, become some of the most prominent and recurrent themes of his works. He wrote what he knew. When he did make a name for himself, it wasn't his true name, Thomas, but Tennessee, whose name was up in lights. Tennessee became his persona, his stage name, his public face, but the identity battle between Tennessee and Tom became a lifelong struggle. In interviews, he described how his fame disturbed him. He had this feeling. He felt horrible, he said, but he didn't know why. This lack of autonomy with his own self must have been unsettling and trying. Many believe the decline of his writing career matched the downward trajectory of his mental health over the years. Both spiralled out of control, lost their spark and faded away. In 1969, Williams was hospitalised by his own brother after a particularly bad spell. Imagine being admitted to a hospital by your own brother. He must have been beyond help. Maybe he always was. So many years later, and he met the same fate as Blanche Dubois, poetic irony he couldn't have written himself. Many addicts use and abuse as a means of coping with their unresolved issues, and Williams was no different. He drank heavily throughout his life, socially and unsocially, echoing his own father, Stanley and Blanche. He died in 1983, at a ripe old age considering, in a haze of addiction. The post-mortem read asphyxia, obstruction by a bottle cap mentioned earlier. The kind of same size as nasal drops or eye drops, a small kind. Many infer that this asphyxia was caused by the ingestion of drugs using the fatal bottle cap. According to reports, he died surrounded by pills and bottles upon bottles of wine. Throughout his life, Williams was obsessed with the prospect of his own mortality, fearing he would never wake up when he went to sleep and feeling great relief when he did. His own obsession with mortality and the ticking time bomb of his life can be seen through the passing of time in many of his plays and Blanche's preoccupation with her fading youth and inevitable journey towards age and thus death. The writer. Speaking as a writer, William said that what writers create stems from their own emotional history and that it's impossible to do anything else. This explains why we can see so many parts of William's life transcend into his plays. 
Before writing plays, Williams dabbled in poetry. When asked if he still liked to write poetry during his writing career, he felt he did so through the medium of his plays. Characters spoke in poetry and sometimes met poetic justice. He experienced life in poetry. Perhaps this is why Blanche clings on so dearly to poetry in her life. He described writing as the most important thing in his life. He did it every day and it came as natural as sleeping or eating. He loved to create something. He found it gave his life meaning and allowed him to explore the other meanings of life. In a fantastic episode of Desert Island Discs, he recalls how he would listen to music whilst writing as he found it could affect the mood of his writing. This makes so much sense when we consider his use of music motifs in the stage in a streetcar, creating semblance between the music and the characters to create meaning and experience for the audience. One common theme in his works became loneliness. He even acknowledged this, as he put it, as a predominant emotional subject that found itself into his characters and plots very often. Another is illusion and truth, or fantasy and reality, a juxtaposition he toyed with in other works, such as A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, as well as in Streetcar. But beyond themes, tragedy seemed William's most characteristic genre. He believed one way or the other, life always ended in tragedy. Did this make him a pessimist or a realist? Controversy. His plays attracted controversial reception from his critics, although in interviews William shied away from any intention in making controversial works and in fact claimed that he was squeamish and couldn't stand anything too obscene. This does seem to jar with much of the content of his plays, but perhaps explains the subtleties we've noticed in staging anything too explicitly sexual or violent off stage in some of the most climactic moments in Streetcar. His works were said to appeal for their sex and sensationalism, but Williams felt that the film industry exploited and highlighted the more sexual and taboo to draw audiences in, underappreciating the other layers of his works. Whilst the very things the film company sought to exploit intrigued many, they also offended many too. Some claimed his plays as a whole contained too much or too often the sexually abhorrent. He challenged these claims, insisting that any such cases were not central to, but a part of his works, such as they are a very real part of life. William sought to normalise the controversial. He believed in the true realism of his art. He dealt with the taboo, and in some ways was incredibly progressive in doing so. Another thing that time and time again become a part of discussion was the refusal to condemn his flawed characters. Some of his characters do things, say things that are deeply wrong, but he was not to be moved to condemn them. Instead, he presented them as what they were, in all the nuanced form with which he had characterised them. This condemnation was a job for the audience, rather than for him. Mm -hmm. 
So we're just approaching the end of our first episode on the kindness of strangers and we have been through lots of different details about Tennessee Williams' life and times and all the things that makes him really interesting as a writer. We're just going to sum up now with some key tips from Head of Department, Mrs Thomas, who's got some things that you should not miss when trying to incorporate details about Tennessee Williams in your essay surrounding a streetcar named Desire. Let's quickly go through three key context points you can mention in pretty much any essay on the play. Number one, Williams himself has said that the world in which the play is set is, and I quote, no place for the sensitive non-conformist individual. And this can be applied to all three characters. The post-World War II world in which the play is set celebrates and rewards masculinity, brute strength, physical and mental fitness. It's a survival of the fittest mentality. William's sister Rose suffered from a severe mental illness at a time where it was feared. It was not a conformity to the stiff upper lip needed at the time. This can be seen in the character of Blanche, who, like Rose, suffered severely with her mental health and simply could not conform. She was therefore unable to survive in this world. Stella chooses Kowalski over Dubois. She chooses to conform. She leaves her sensitivities and survives. Stanley is the epitome of the conformity celebrated at the time. He is physically and mentally strong and oozing with heterosexuality. Which brings me on to my, uh, my second point. Homosexuality was, sadly, illegal in Mississippi until 2003. This is the state in which Williams was born and grew up. He was gay at a time and in a place where it was considered a crime in his home state. How could he conform to that? This is reflected in Alan, who commits suicide and arguably triggers Blanche's downward spiral. He was unable to conform. The fear of homosexuality and refusal to accept it meant that any explicit mention of Alan's sexuality was removed from Elia Kazan's infamous film adaptation. This also links to my third point, William's sister's lobotomy in 1943. Mental illness was so feared and misunderstood that surgeons actually believed they could remove the infected part of the brain and cure mental illness. This practice continued until the 60s and was happening in Britain, in Wales too. Williams' sister lived in a vegetative state for the rest of her life after a lobotomy. Blanche's ending, while horrific to a modern audience, is arguably the best she could have hoped for in a world that was cruel if you could not conform. for that Mrs Thomas some really key points discussed there now as we draw to a close let's take a moment to check in with our focus and our well-being so we're going to finish with a physical grounding exercise this is something often used in yoga to start or finish and it's just about bringing you back into yourself and your own body it's best to do this when you're standing and still or you can do it when you're sitting as well but if you've been sitting down for a while it's a good opportunity to get up and recalibrate really so starting with the top of your head hold your head high and straight and just notice how that feels come down to your ears and pay attention to anything you can hear to your jaw relax it Try to leave go of any tension you're unconsciously holding there. 
Down to your neck and shoulders. Try to set your shoulders back with your neck outstretched a little and just enjoy that posture for a moment. Moving down, focus on the shape of your spine and then traveling down your legs, really try to feel grounded in your feet, your heels on the ground, your soles, your toes. And are you ready to move on with your day? So that's a wrap. Hope you've learned a lot and enjoyed learning all about Tennessee Williams and all of the interesting things that we can tie into A Streetcar Named Desire. Um, if you'd like to do any further reading or listening, I definitely recommend that you listen to the Desert Island Discs that features him. It's in the archive uh, podcast that can be searched for. You can just pop it into your search engine and that'll come up. Um, and if you want more in-depth knowledge on him, visiting sites like Britannica has got really really comprehensive information all about the writer if you'd like to learn any more but until next time happy reading and take care of yourselves Music